I don't know if it needs to. Is my so this is my gut reaction, um, and then I'm going to try to work myself into reasoning. <laughs> That'll be fun for our listeners. Um, Welcome to episode 9 of Major Revisions. Here, as always, is Grace Wilkinson, newly minted professor at Iowa State University. How are you doing, Grace? I'm doing pretty well, John. Thanks. I'm keeping my head above water in my first week of being an assistant professor. Excellent. Excellent. And Jeff Atkins is also with us from Virginia Commonwealth University. How's it going, Jeff? It's going well, guys. The uh, snow is uh, the nice three inches of snow we have in here in Virginia. It's great. Winter Wonderland. Got you a day and a half off, right? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I, I enjoy the cold weather, like so. I always make try to make it a tradition of hanging out on the coldest day of the year. And the other night, it got down to seven, so we uh, built a fire and sat out and drank all night. The problem was that, of course, you, the beer freezes while you're drinking. It's seven, <laughs> it's seven <laughs> degrees Fahrenheit outside, but it was fun. But yeah, nice to be here. Good deal. Wait. And I'm John Walter. Go ahead, Grace. So, John, what was the coldest temperature in Lawrence, Kansas, last week? Uh, it was about zero. <laughs> oh, my gosh, you guys are so much warmer. Okay, we hit minus 13 last week in our first week in Iowa. Oh, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Did that feel like... <laughs> so, Jeff, come visit our cold I night. love cold weather because it's like you know, people are like, oh, and I'm in the sun. Like, cold weather it makes you appreciate life because just going outside is instantly a survival situation. <laughs> and I don't think yes, people a- who live in warmer climates don't appreciate that. And they don't, I think they don't have as positive of an outlook on life because they don't have to struggle to survive just to go to the, you know, grocery store. But that's just me. There you go. That's a very positive explains, way of yeah. looking at it. I like Sell that. that one to, uh, it explains a lot to everyone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think we wanted to talk a little bit, I know we're already a few days into. 2017, and I'm already pretty slow at editing anyway, so hopefully this comes out before February. But uh, just quick review from 2016, focus on the positives. Uh, so I want to ask you guys some some questions, cold questions here. Are you ready? Yes. Yep. All right, Grace, we'll start with you. Favorite, favorite new place that you visited in 2016? I went to Costa Rica this year, and so I'd have to say my favorite new place was definitely the cloud forest in Costa Rica, particularly Monteverde. John, what John. was the favorite new experience that you had from 2016? New experience? Um, gosh, I don't know. I don't have a lot of new experiences. I live a really boring life. <laughs> um, <laughs> How about starting a podcast with two of your former <laughs> colleagues and friends? That is a new experience, and I really like it. So, yeah, let's go with that. Thank you, Grace, for answering <laughs> my question for me. Anytime. Just throwing that out there for you. Uh, so, question for yeah. both of you. Uh, favorite paper that you read from the year? doesn't have to be monumental. It could be, but favorite scientific piece of literature you read? John, you go first. So there's a paper um, in Nature Climate Change that came out in 2016 um, by Walt Koenig and Sandy Liebhold. Um, It's about uh, 
how spatial synchrony in uh, North American overwintering birds has increased in uh, over the past 50 years, and they also offer some um, sort of uh, ancillary um, data showing that synchrony in temperatures has increased over the same period and that there might be a relationship between um, increasing spatial synchrony and uh, climate change. Um, and that paper is, I think, um, it's certainly the one that I've spent the most time with and has um, probably most influenced my own research. So I will uh, say that that's my favorite. Grace, do you have one? So I think, yeah, I think the favorite paper um, from 2016 and that I've, that's come out recently is a paper in Limnology and Oceanography by McCracken et al., Michelle McCracken. And I hope I'm saying that last name right. And um, the paper was about a meta-analysis of recovery of water bodies from eutrophication. And the reason why it's one of my favorites is, first of all, it's a meta-analysis, and I'm in the midst of a meta-analysis right now, so I feel like that makes these authors my war buddies. Um, <laughs> if you've ever done a meta-analysis, I bet there's better tools out there than the way I've been doing it, but wow, it's a lot. Um, I've read thousands of papers. Um, and so it, that, and then also just their results were really interesting about um, trying to look for this signal of recovery and if there's any common trends across water bodies. Um, and they found some really interesting patterns, but then also the fact that there weren't patterns I thought was really interesting, and there's just a lot of work left there to do. So I thought that was probably my favorite paper. Um, so mine actually kind of came late <clears throat> in the year, it was in November. It was... Um from Claire Phillips, but it also has Ben Bon Lamberty, Ankur Desai, and uh, Catherine Todd Brown, and Rodrigo Vargas, and Martin Lavoie on it. Um, Dave Risk as well, get everyone in there. It's the value of soil respiration measurements for interpreting and modeling terrestrial carbon cycling. And so, you know, not only does it have some of my friends on it, and some really excellent work, but it really makes a, a valuable case for a couple of things that I hold very important. One, using actual on-the-ground data to inform models and make forecasts with, but also trying to, you know, aggregate and make data available. So it um, kind of covers all the bases, and it's also just incredibly well-written. So I highly recommend that as well. So plant soil for you. And yeah, I was trying to think of another. There's a really good one from Andrew Reinman as well on forest fragmentation, but the plant and soil one, mm. good stuff too. Also, Grace, we should do an episode in the future on how meta-analyses work. You, you can, you yeah, can finish it I, I would. if you want. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> We're almost there. <laughs> yeah, it sounds We're like a fun so episode. Close. So, so broadly, what are you guys looking forward to in 2017? Just keeping on, keeping on, basically. Um, I have some exciting projects that um, I'm really hopeful are going to turn into um, some good, uh, some really good papers and um, some ideas um, for grants and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, just just excited for pushing some of those projects forward and hopeful that um, some of those applications for uh, grants and jobs and things like that will, uh, will hit. So um, I guess that's partly more aspirational than uh, excited, but... 
Um, it's a positive emotion, at least for now. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Grace, what are you looking forward to in the new year? Uh, I guess I'm really looking forward to all the new collaborations and people that I'm going to get to do science with. So not only just being here at Iowa State University and working with new folks and getting to work with them, but I'm also going to have some grad students and postdocs and things soon, and I'm just really excited to get to do science with these people, whoever they might end up being. Awesome. So how about you, Jeff? (laughs) Uh, Looking forward to another round of field work, but also being able to kind of you know been in the weeds now for over a year on this project looking at uh you know canopy structural complexity across the continent and being able to actually get that out now like in the we're into the midst of data crunching and writing things up and so it's just kind of like oh you want to you know share like oh here's what we've been working on you know so kind of excited for that and uh moving forward so it'd be good i think a large part of, of science it seems like is you know, show and tell, and that's kind of an interesting part to me as well. You know, like here's what we did. And, you know, write it up. It in is, the paper. and wasn't that the best part of elementary school? Yeah, definitely, definitely the best part. That in snow days. So. All right, are we ready to delve into ecological theory? Yeah, I think we are. So, our our big topic for this episode um, is the question: What is theory in ecology? Um, and kind of, this is a, this is a, a question that it, um, that I kind of posed to uh, to Jeff and Grace. And um, one of the one of the motivating factors for asking this question is, um, you know, I'm in the midst of applying for jobs and things like that, so I'm really concerned about, um, you know, kind of how to present myself and you know what sorts of labels I would apply to myself and what sorts of labels other people would apply to me. Um, and, you know, I do, I do some theoretical work. And so um, some people call me a theoretical ecologist, but I kind of think of it as, um, you know, just I think of myself as an ecologist more broadly. Um, and um, so, and, and that theory is something that I do as part of that um, and so thinking about my own um, sort of um, career and, and what sorts of labels I put on myself and, and also, you know, some discussions that we've seen on other blogs like Dynamic Ecology, um, a recent paper um, by Bruce Kendall um, that came out in 2015 um, that we'll um, post links to um, I don't know. So it just kind of all pointed towards this question that there is discussion about um, what theory really means in ecology. Um, of course, that's an enormous question, right? So um, I kind of want to break it up into some smaller questions that uh, might help us to, you know, to think about and to synthesize toward an answer. Um, but first, I want to back up even bigger picture. Um, and think about how do we define ecology? Um, there's a, a definition in the Bruce Kendall paper that I mentioned um, that says at the most essential level, the science of ecology seeks to understand the processes that determine the distribution and abundance of organisms, along with those that determine how organisms modify the abiotic environment. Do you guys agree with that definition? 
Well, I, I guess I would say um, it's an interesting definition, and I definitely agree with it in part, but I don't think it's, it's not how I would have defined ecology. And I think the thing that was really a sticking point for me was the um, last part of that definition, which was along with those that determine how organisms modify the abiotic environment. Um, and I would have given that a, a bidirectional definition. So how perhaps organisms modify the abiotic environment and how the abiotic environment modifies and influences them because um, it's a bi-directional relationship and I was very surprised that that was left out. I don't know. Jeff, what did you think? Um, I think it's lacking the odom part of the equation. The I think the Cary Institute's eco- definition of ecology is better, which includes you know not only the influencing distribution and abundance of organisms, which is kind of the very, very old school kind of definition of ecology, but also how the interactions between organisms and the transformation includes fluxes of energy and matter. And I think that's the important part that's missing from this equation, at least to me, is that, that side of the, the coin. Yeah, and you're right. That really does come sort of from the Odom school of thought. That I think that was Odom 1971. Is that correct? For the Maybe. Or oh, is it 56? Yeah, I believe it's Odom 1971. That's possible. Um, that's likely. See, we haven't taken comp- um, our comprehensive exams for, what, probably five <laughs> years now, so all of this information is out of our heads. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so I, I, I don't know. It's... Um, I don't know much about the author here, but perhaps they come more from a population or a, a community background. And so maybe this strikes me as a bit more of a definition of community ecology. Yeah, so that, that is more um, of, of Kendall's uh, expertise. I also think that it's, I mean, not that um, Kendall's you know, particularly old, but, um, but that that's a little bit more of like an, an older school definition um, as well, and that, you know, ecology, um, since the Odoms, but I think especially recently, has moved a lot more toward, um, understanding, um, fluxes of matter and energy, and also, you know, integrating ecology and evolution, you know, given that evolution happens on ecological timescales, and that also, kind of reinforces the bi-directionality um, grace that you were, were pointing out. Yeah. So do you, I, I guess this also gets to another question that I've kind of had about ecology. When people focus on sort of that organism, organismal abundance and distribution and even to some degree their interactions, if you don't include the abiotic environment, whether that's the organism modifying it or as we were talking about, it also influencing the organisms and their population and distribution. Are you just doing population biology? Just was not the right word to put there. Are you doing population biology? As my nine-year-old would say. Sorry, that sounded like I was making a value judgment. As my nine-year-old would say, (laughs) sick burn. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I've always struggled with that sort of that difference there um, between... Does having that abiotic, the environment component, make it ecology versus biology? Yeah, you know, I think. All right, we're discussing theory, so <laughs> of course this is going to go a semantic direction. Uh, you know, in in some respects, the the discussion just lends itself to that. But you know, I think I think it's more of like a degree of emphasis type of thing. Okay. Where there's kind of gray area versus. Um, 
you know, a strict dividing line. Um, but but I do agree that you know, in in large part, um, the you know the focus has been a little bit more on sort of organisms and their interactions, and you know, there I think there are new long-standing but some new directions in you know bringing you know more um detail about uh spatial and temporal and environmental um heterogeneity um into you know population and community dynamics and um really you know kind of trying to understand those um interactions and influences um Mm. No, that's helpful. Thanks for that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that's all always been there to a degree, um, but you know, we're we're kind of moving into an age where we have a basic understanding of a lot of different processes in ecology, and I think a lot of the interesting things um, are in you know how do these processes interact with one another, um, but. That's that's just my opinion. No, I mean, I'm definitely for a big tent definition of ecology. But I think it's, you know, there is, at some point, there is a bright line, but I don't know if it really even matters as far as what makes the difference between population ecology, population biology, where it is. It's... Sorry, so back to theory. I devolved us <laughs> no, we're along good. talking about... <laughs> no, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a good point. Um, Yeah, so now that we've sort of defined and, and agreed that um, we want to take sort of a big tent um, definition of ecology, uh, what are some of the big con- contributions of theory um, in general or um, in each of our research areas? Do you want to start, Grace? Um, I don't think so, because... <laughs> <laughs> I respect that. I respect that. As a a person who actually doesn't think a lot about theory, so I was very intrigued about having this discussion today, I'd be interested to hear about how you guys define what theory is and how it fits into your research, and I think that's going to help me reflect on on, on my own research and how it fits in. No, that's that's a good point, Grace, and I wonder about this. I think a lot, like when we started having this conversation about this episode, I was like, well, I never really think about what I... When I think about it, I never think of it in terms of theory, right? There's definitely a framework upon which I hang things, which I think about. But is that theory? Um, So I guess, John, could you dig deeper to the woods and give us a definition of theory? Yeah, so, well, that's sort of... What we're what we're trying to to arrive at, um, and and I think it's hard um, to do that, um, which is why we're going to talk about it and probably not get to a satisfactory answer. Um, <laughs> but well, all right. So let let me start with you know some ways that I think about theory in my own work, um, and maybe we can compare and contrast that with with you guys. Um, so one of the main things that I work on is, uh, is population dynamics. And, you know, this is a really, you know, rich, rich area of theory. 
Um, you know, you can think about you know the dynamics of single populations. Um, there are you know a ton of theoretical models of that um, that have been analyzed. They've been simulated um, in you know infinite different types of situations. Um, they're you know meta populations. Um, so where you have basically um, somewhat interactive but you know spatially um, distinct patches um, in a um, in a population you have um, yeah I mean there's there's a lot of different different things you have you know theory like the Lacco Volterra equations about how um, competition and uh, you know extensions to that to how you know other types of species interactions uh, affect um, populations. Um, there's a whole, you know, bunch of you know more explicit community stuff that um, that gets into. But I, I think for me, like a starting place um, is that theory is what provides um, some frameworks in order to work in. Um, so if I you know, if I come to a new system um, where someone, you know, throws me a data set um, and, you know, wants me to analyze it, I might, you know, start thinking first, well, you know, is this a meta population? Um, you know, how important are interactions with other species to these dynamics? Like, do we need to um, really explicitly account for those interactions and um, use sort of like a multi-species type of framework? Um, or, you know, is either because of restrictions of the data or, you know, properties of the system is really just one species what we're interested in. Um, and then, you know, jumping off um, from that, you know, depending on, you know, depending on what the state of the, um, you know, the theory is and... Um, I might even, you know, try and write down a model or, um, uh, or you know, and um, and simulate it to try and understand what uh, what types of questions might be interesting or um, what types of uh, you know situations could give rise to something similar to the dynamics that we see uh, in the data set or you know if you know, if there is a, a good um, theory in place that, that makes a lot of sense, you know, it might just go right to uh, analysis. Um, but I guess for me, like, theory is sort of like the starting place is the framework. And sometimes it leads to, um, you know, using some kind of model to make some qualitative or even quantitative prediction about um, what... Uh, dynamics uh, we might see in the data um, and it's it's not always like a you know theory to empiricism um, kind of direction sometimes it's you know more um, back the other way um, like if there's an unexpected result from uh, from the data then it might be important to go back to the theory and say well you know do we know how this um, phenomenon could have possibly arisen. Sure. So in your sort of working definition of theory, John, 
would it be fair to say that what you're calling a framework could also be called sort of a testable hypothesis? Um, or are you seeing that or as does different? the hypotheses come from the framework? I think I think the, um, the way that I'm thinking of it, the hypotheses more come from the framework. So I, I think of the framework as um, kind of describing a you know sort of a set of conditions um, like. Um, You know, perhaps sort of like a, a framework is sort of like a general description sort of of um, a type of system or a question that I'm interested in. And, um, you know, there's some kind of um, literature that accompanies that idea um, that tells me, can tell me something about, you know, what types of things that I would expect to see in this system, what types of things might be interesting um, to, to look for, um, to understand, um, a, you know, a population or a community. Um, so so it's, it's very, for me, I'm, I'm thinking of it in a pretty high-level um, type of sense, and, you know, the pr process of hypothesis formation, you know, might involve, you know, kind of drawing on one or more different frameworks that uh, might seem to apply to a particular problem. Um, but it also, it, it doesn't necessarily flow, like, directly out of the theory or the framework, what the hypotheses are, um, you know, there's kind of more of like an interaction with um, what are the characteristics of this system, um, or what do, what do we even want to know? You know, if we're if we're studying a you know uh, federally listed species, one of the things that we might want to know is you know what's this population doing? Um, you know, where and and that might. Uh, you know, so the conservation implications might drive um, the hypotheses that uh, we develop. Hmm. So, Jeff, did that, did John's um, explanation of theory and his work help you reflect on how it might be used in your work? Yeah, I think it's kind of like similar to what you said like I don't you know I don't explicitly think of it that way though I guess I am like it really I mean everything kind of goes back to it right whenever you design an experiment where you're trying to test some type of hypothesis based on this you got you're already grounded in this framework that you understand it whether I guess you think of it as theory or not um you know a lot of what I'm interested in right now is looking at resource efficiency and um you know particularly how plants alter, you know, like nitrogen and light use efficiency in response to other variables. Like, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I guess, it, like I said, I, I don't really just 
explicitly think about it in my mind, though I probably should more, you know, think of it as more of a theoretical basis. Like a lot of times I get too much into the weeds of just focused on answering the question. And I think that's probably reciprocally wrong. You know, but but from from your answer, though, it, it sounds like you kind of do implicitly think about um, about theory, right? Like, if you're thinking about, you know, th- things like resource use efficiency, you know, you might... Uh, Tell me if I'm off base here, because this isn't something that I know a whole lot about, but you might be thinking about, like, you know, trade-offs, right? Like, you know, you probably can't acquire every nutrient uh, superiorly, um, so, you know, you and, you know, you have a finite amount of resources that, you know, you need to allocate to, um, you know, do the best you can to use you know the resources that you have um and acquire new resources in an an efficient manner uh that's probably totally asinine sounding because um you know that's not what i spend my day thinking about but (laughs) no no well no it goes back to conversations that you and i have had before about you know because i come from a very much of a, a field ecologist kind of naturalist background and you know, like uh, Hank Schugert has made the comment that science without models is alchemy. And a lot of times, <laughs> like I don't think about modeling things or forecasting things a lot, though it's something that I'm trying to learn more about and to integrate more about or into you know, to my own work. And which is in a way just, you know, that data feeding back to theory and the theory feeding back to experimentations that then feed back to data that go back and forth, right? And they're trying to model those relationships, which have those theoretical, mathematical underpinnings to how we view and understand the world. Um, and I guess, like, I get so stuck in the one part a... of that circle. But, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, so this is kind of a big question that uh, that I think is really, really important. Um, does theory need to be mathematical or have mathy underpinnings? I don't know if it needs to. Is my so this is my gut reaction, um, and then I'm going to try to work myself into reasoning. <laughs> That'll be fun for our listeners. Um, but my gut reaction is that it doesn't need to be. There can be theory that you know maybe you could broadly define theory to even include things like conceptual models, which are extremely useful. Um, but I think probably as far as an application of a theory to a question or a hypothesis or a specific system, it's probably more useful if it eventually is mathematical. So what would be an example of a one without math? Just out of curiosity. In science. One without what? Like one that doesn't, isn't mathematically based. So I'm not, I'm not aware of a theory that has like no math associated with it. But I guess, you know, one of the things that motivated my question was, you know, at least, at least in my impression, you know, most theories in ecology start with observation, right? They don't start with someone who is better at math than I am, you know, looking at a, you know, random jumble of, you know, numbers and symbols on a blackboard and seeing, 
well, I could solve this this way, and it might have something to do with thing X. No, it, it like it. The theory, at least like the really, when it's in its sort of novel development stage, it starts with a observation about the world that needs explanation. Um, and you know, my my strong intuition is that most if not all theories start out in the conceptual realm and then you you know you move from conceiving you know how you know two or more things might be related to one another to developing a mathematical model of that relationship and exploring the properties of that model um, and and I th- and I sort of think that in, in practice that's kind of what theoretical ecology is uh, you know is, is doing the, the sort of like the exploration of those models um, and and coming up with new models as well Um but that you know they have this kind of, I mean that that's sort of theoretical ecology as a practice, um, but sort of the idea of the question of what is theory in ecology, um, I think could be broader than that. So on that, do you think that's why that ecology specifically borrows a lot of? conceptual theory or conceptually theoretically based theories i don't know how to frame this like from other fields like you think about the the leaf economic spectrum they kind of borrow you know resource stuff from um economics and econometrics um or is there is that one of those like underlying unified theory kind of rules there's just this stuff out there in the ether anyway and we're all coalescing to a single point Well, you could argue that in some disciplines or, or fields that we're, you know, we're trying to describe ecological systems and economists might be trying to describe economic systems and their dynamics and there probably are some shared properties of systems that are useful to think about in both fields. So I'm not sure if it's exclusive to ecology that we tend to borrow and from other disciplines, but it's certainly useful. And I think this is, and this is a question yeah. that John, you and I were talking about the other day was about, you know, do we view and shape theories and create our hypotheses based on kind of our interactions with the world in general, as far as the lens that we view it through as just humans. Um, and part of this came from that that book, The Ecological Detective, where he talks about how, you know, any theory or anything that we pose to test is ultimately comes from our view of the world, kind of a you know human centric. Uh, borderline imperialistic way that we do it. My example is, of course, like competition. How we view it as like a, you know, kind of gladiatorial combat in a way that we choose to look at the world. That's, you know, we focus a lot more on that than say we do mutualistic relationships. Yeah, so my my answer to to great Grace's question and Jeff's question are kind of similar. Um, so, so I think that, um, or at least 
building off of Jeff's earlier question is I think that you know both those things have to do with ecology being um, a relatively young field um, so that's part of the reason that I think we borrow um, so much from other fields is that you know there are uh, you know there are analogous ideas in econ- uh, economics and um, physics and chemistry and those fields have just been around longer so um, it's a little bit more um, convenient to borrow or um, you know in some cases sort of rediscover in an ecological context um, some of those uh, equations and ideas um, that have, have been around a while um, and and my answer to, to Jeff's more recent question uh, about competition is is kind of similar um, you know we had a sort of long-standing and very um, influential um, theory about competition and so I think that that has you know has guided um, us as a field um, in that direction um, but you know I suspect that if you know that another idea could gain um, equal or greater um, popularity in um, in the future um, and you know maybe all it takes is you know someone coming up with a you know great and widely applicable theory about um, mutualism and you know suddenly um, that will you know could also be a hot topic you know on that uh, hot topic of hot topics um, <laughs> how how much do you think <laughs> um, ecology gets led around by the nose? You know, somebody big in the field puts a new hot theory out there, and we all go and we try to test it in our systems or things like that. Um, do you th- do you guys get the sense that that's something that happens, or not as much, or not any more than any other field? Do you have any thoughts on that? John, sorry, we're we're putting we're grilling you like it's a. Senate confirmation hearing here on ecological theory. Yeah, that's all right. You know, their next episode will do something that you guys think about more. You're doing great. Keep it up. So, so I don't have obviously don't have great perspective on other fields. Um, I see. So I see right now that, you know, I don't think that there's actually a lot of theory going on in ecology. Mm. Um, so we, um, in a, a, a grant, grant reviews that um, we got back uh, in, uh, in December, uh, Unfortunately, it wasn't funded, but one of the reviewers made the comment that um, this submission um, that, that I helped um, to put together was the only proposal that they had read that was developing any theory. Um, and I don't know how big the sample of, uh, you know, of, of things is, um, but I, I, think that, uh, I think that we have kind of as a field we've moved toward 
kind of modeling, um, you know, system specific, um, building system specific models, uh, and um, and testing, you know, theory, um, and and really aren't doing a whole lot of um, developing new theory. Um, I think, I mean, I think there's some reasons for that. Like, I think that um, a lot of the interesting ecological questions um, these days are very challenging mathematically. Um, And so that kind of really restricts um, the, you know, the range of people with the skill set to do that. Um, and, you know, for the record, I, you know, I'm in that boat. That's why I work with, uh, you know, people who are really good mathematicians. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in, in that case, in cases like that, you know, my type of role is more, you know, translating between theory and empiricism um, than uh, in actually, you know, Solving really um, complex mathematical problems. Um, so I think I've lost track of where the question was <laughs> because I got caught up with commenting on um, things and you know getting on my hobby horse. Um, so Grace, can can you steer me back towards the the actual thread here? Yeah. Well, I was just I was wondering um, just. In general, in ecology, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, working on grant proposals and things, how much we're all sort of chasing the hot topic or the sexy topic of the time or, you know, what's trendy and trending and how trendy do we try to be in ecology versus how much are we really tying back into theory and and trying to push forward and find the edges of our disciplines. Mm. Um, So how do and also as young people, how do we balance being trendy versus wanting to, you know, find the edges and push forward in our disciplines or are those mutually inclusive and I've created this dichotomy in my head I'm open to hearing that too I mean I think there's probably a Venn diagram here like there you know there's sort of trendy cutting edge I mean cutting edge does kind of connote trendy but I'm going to use cutting edge more in the context of meaning relatively unexplored um and you know so there's space where they meet and there's space where they don't meet um and you know i guess you know in principle we probably if we want to have good careers we want to be in the overlapping space um because you know as as much as we want to idealize you know, doing great science regardless of the topic, um, you know, if you're not connecting with the community of um, scientists that you're a part of um, by, you know, doing things that, you know, are are trendy or, you know, connect with longstanding questions in your field, well, you're probably not going to be very successful um, you know for sociological reasons you know nothing to do with um, you know how rigorous your that's true science um, is a human pursuit it is it's, it's yes. very human and I think you make a, a really good point about 
really grounding, like when you're talking about proposals and proposing work, of grounding that in theory. And I work with a couple guys who are really, really good at that as well. But I think that's definitely a consideration because I know uh, it's not as widespread, like you mentioned, as it, as it probably should be. And I guess I realized, like, listening to you, that I think that I come from a, a, a lot more of the perspective of thinking about the applications of research. And that's why I think I don't explicitly in my mind give enough thought about theoretical basis of it. So that's been a, a good revelation for me from this. Yeah, absolutely. John, can I ask one more question? And absolutely. You can feel free to disregard. But um, as a person who thinks a lot about theory and is good at incorporating that into what they're doing as well as, you know, found really founding what they're doing in that. Do you have any suggestions about um, how people can get better at that? Yeah, so... I think, I mean, I think the big... One of the most important things, and, and this is taking, like, a very, you know, big tent picture of theory that I don't think everyone would agree with, but, you know, I think just knowing the literature is really important because I think, you know, every theory starts with a conceptual framework. Um, and, you know, those can, you know, on one hand, sort of guide um, your, your thinking. I mean, you shouldn't, you know, adopt a particular conceptual framework uncritically. Um, I think a lot of our most important science is the it, are the studies, be they empirical or theoretical, that are asking questions about major conceptual frameworks um, and refining them, and you know trying to push the boundaries of where they do and don't apply very well. Um, I think that that's really important, and I think that it's very. I mean, I think that very many studies um, that may be entirely empirical, um, you know, without you know, theory or modeling, um, can be cast in that, uh, in that mold um, with, and, and the biggest barrier to, you know, to doing that is, uh, you know, to reading the literature and you know, knowing what are the frameworks, what are the theories that could potentially apply to um, this system, and um, you know, understanding enough of the you know the detail to um, you know to think critically about the predictions that they're making, um, the assumptions that underlie them, and, and things like that, because um, those those are areas that I think are really ripe for uh, ripe for study in general. Um, the other thing that I that I think is that um, doing simulation, I think, is a lot less intimidating than you know doing analysis in a, in a lot of ways, um, and you know what I what I mean by that is you know if you you can take an existing model um, or you know slightly modified model and you know just you know, code it up in R or MATLAB or, you know, your program of choice. Um, a lot of the programs you use for doing your statistics, 
double equally well for this and you know just run some different parameter com combinations and um, start to understand dynamics you know that's a lot it requires a lot less you know mathematical uh, you know sort of like you know advanced math skills um, than you know looking for um, analytical solutions to um, to equations um, and so I think that yeah I think that doing simulation is another way that um, that people can can jump in um, and you know a lot of a lot of simple models and a lot of more complex models um, you know you can kind of pull off the shelf um, in a sense I mean there's going to be you know some input cost to understanding how they work and um, you know the the quirks of um, how they may, might run, um, especially if they're you know written in a language that you're unfamiliar with or something like that. Um, but um, but yeah, I think I think that can be a really good entryway into um, you know into doing theory and incorporating that into. Um, into your work if you are a more theoretically minded person uh, you know and collaborations are great like you know we don't have to um, you know all do everything else um, but chances are you know you can find someone that um, does have some of the skill set that uh, that can do that um, and and help you out and um, hopefully is also a you know reasonably human to interact with <laughs> on a regular basis so you actually want to talk about hopefully well thank you those are some really useful suggestions I appreciate that yeah feel free to edit my my rambling there nope I like it keeping it all in so I, ironically I saw um, I don't know if you guys know Josh Drew at Columbia he's like a marine biologist uh, he's a cool guy but he actually was talking this morning on, on Twitter about an assignment he's going to do in his conservation biology class this semester where he's going to pick a theoretical paper from time period between like 1995, 2005, and then have the students trace like not only like the lineage leading up to that paper, but then also to see, you know, where it, you know, since then. And I thought that was a really kind of interesting idea for like a graduate seminar. So I'm thinking of probably be teaching a graduate seminar in the fall and so this may be an interesting thing that i pursue depends on like class yeah. size but i like the idea of this particularly because you can kind of you know as he points out too like you can see you know where different students take it as well and that can be interesting there's you know enough computational tools out there now that you can follow that through web of science but it may be an interesting way to do that yeah sounds no, that is. Cool. Let me know how it goes. Yeah. Let us all know how it goes. Uh, I'm teaching a science and society course starting next week, so we'll see. Like graduate, or it's an undergraduate capstone course, so that should be exciting. Fallen. <laughs> yeah, like I think it's, it's the biology department, so I think it's going to be basically 100% pre-med students, which should be a new experience for me. It should be fun. Yeah, you might want to fight them on a daily <laughs> basis, but. <laughs> I often find the antagonistic approach works well, too. <laughs> I'm not condoning violence against 
pre-med students. Just, you know, take, take that as a tongue-in-cheek comment, please. <laughs> Excellent. All right, do you guys have any closing thoughts? No, but I'm excited to go think more about theory in my work and how to apply it, especially given the suggestions that John had. So thanks for that, John. Um, yeah. If you're really, if you have really exciting and creative ideas, feel free to ask me to collaborate on them or, you know, for advice. But, on, but only if your ideas are really exciting and creative. And theoretically based. Um, and well, also probably Jeff, about populations or communities, because I don't know jack about <laughs> ecosystem modeling. <laughs> or plant allocation theory, or pretty much anything <laughs> besides the things that I know about. <laughs> uh, thank you for laughing and making me feel better about myself. <laughs> I mean that sincerely, that's, by the that's way. That's our job. We've, we've, um, we've all carved out the very <laughs> tiny little narrow niche in the world that we we know, so it's okay. <laughs> and I don't know about you guys, but my worldview is very informed by my niche. Um, so, Jeff, did you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? I got nothing. <laughs> All right, Thought Free is the way to be. Um, thank you for listening to Major Revisions. You can find us online at majorrevisions.weebly.com. On iTunes, in the podcast section, you can also find us on SoundCloud. Um, and we hope that you'll join us again for our next episode. Have a good day. Bye.